0: Well, today we're wrapping up what is probably the most important and the most difficult message of this ensi- entire series. Reference point. Yes, even more difficult than some of these topics that we've looked at, such as discrimination or gender identity or politics or suffering or or forgiveness. And while some of those topics are certainly you know hot button topics or or they're they're, they're topics that are kind of exhilarating or or exciting to look at, today's message is the most important one that we literally lay on top of all those other messages. In fact, this is one of those messages that I would hope as your pastor, you'd actually choose to listen to a couple times a year, seeking to apply this message into your life. And so we're gonna find other topics, like I said, more exciting or controversial or thrilling, but today's topic is the most important. Why? Because today's topic is all about living out our faith in a very practical way. It's how to live out our faith. And it's what Jesus and the Apostle Paul both explained were central to our faith as a Jesus follower. What we're talking about today is literally what transformed the world 2,000 years ago so much so that a, that a world 2,000 years ago that was dominated by, by, uh, by paganism and, and people worshiping so many different gods and culture and society being formed by that and paganism, that all but disappeared into the background as Christianity became the religion of Western society. Why? Because of what we're talking about today. So to kick it off, I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, if you can turn there now. We're going to look at one of Paul's most famous lists of imperatives. And this list that we're going to look at and go through chapter 5, some various verses, Paul is writing this to a bunch of Christians who live in Ephesus. Now, if you were to understand a little bit about the history of Ephesus, or at least the the story of Ephesus, what we're going to read about is extremely powerful. The city of Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship. Artemis was, was the god or goddess at that time, and the, the, the Artemis temple was there in Ephesus. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That entire city of Ephesus, with the culture, society, everything, revolved around Artemis worship. The economy was built around Artemis worship. Culture, every aspect their festivals everything they did was built around this artemis worship and because the christians in artemis put in or the christians in ephesus put this what we're talking about today into practice artemis worship eventually disappeared and ceased to exist all because of what we're looking at today it's truly miraculous so i hope as we dive in you will begin to see how much power there is in what we're talking about to change a culture, to change a society. So let's pick up Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Here's what Paul is saying to these Christians surrounded by a culture of paganism, surrounded by a culture that worshiped a false and foreign God. And he says to these Christians, he says, verse 31, Ephesians 4, I want you to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of brawling and slander along with every form of malice. I want you to be kind and compassionate to one another. I want you to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Hold on to that phrase, just as. Why get rid of all these things? Why be kind to those who are unkind? Why be forgiving to those who are guilty? What's the key? I just told you, it's that phrase, just as. Now, just as what just as the law demands, just as the Bible says or or, or, or the scriptures say, he says, I want you to get rid of all these things, why? Just as in Christ, God, and then he says, forgave you. In other words, you and I are to do to others what God has done for us through Christ. Everything that Paul lists here, everything that he talks about through all of his letters in the Bible to all the churches, it's really just application of this due to others, just as Christ has done to you. Keep that in mind, just as Christ has done to you. Let's keep going. Look at the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, so I want you to follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love. And what's the next phrase? Let's say it together. Walk in the way of love. Just as, there's that phrase again, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, our Christian life, our Christian behavior, the way we live is meant to look like Jesus is sacrificial, hanging from the cross with his own sweat and his own blood pouring out and his back torn to shreds, that he was, his face beat up, that he was hardly noticeable, just as. Jesus has done for us. And Paul called this, Jesus hanging from a cross type love, Paul called it, look at it in verse two, he said, he called it the way of love. The Jesus way of love is meant to be our reference point as believers for our life and our morality. Keep that thought in mind as he keeps going in verse 3. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's people. He's saying, listen, you and I were saints. We're holy because of Jesus. So Paul says, I want you to live your life and walk in a manner that is worthy of the life that Jesus has called you to. And then everything else that Paul writes in these verses in in Ephesians chapter 5, the next few verses There's simply an application of what it looks like to live as those whose reference point is walking in the Jesus way of love. He closes out the section and says in verse 8, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And so here's the question that God wants you and I to ask on a regular basis, perhaps on a daily basis, What would it look like for you and I as forgiven children of light to embrace the way of love? What would that look like for you? What would that look like for me if we embraced the way of love? Where did Paul get this idea of of what he's talking about, this way of love? Well, it's his way of saying what Jesus said in John 15 where Jesus said, I want you to love as I have loved. You see, the basis for your behavior, for my behavior, for what transformed the world 2,000 years ago, the basis for that behavior is the sacrificial love of Jesus. That's the Jesus way of love. Paul goes on. He says it another way to a different church, to the Galatians. And I'm telling you, if you and I would choose to take seriously what he's talking about, this is going to revolutionize our church. It's going to revolutionize all churches. It'll revolutionize our lives, our relationships. It's what actually changes communities like it did in Ephesus and like it did to the entire Roman Empire. Here's how he said it to the Galatians. He said in Galatians chapter 5, he said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I want you to think about that for a second. He said, and let's say this one word together, the second word in the sentence. He said, the what? The the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Really? Really, Paul, the only thing that counts? Isn't that more like, well, one of the things that counts? No, no, he's saying the only thing that counts is, and notice he doesn't say the only thing that counts is faith. Some of you grew up with that version of Christianity. That's the whole, you know, me and God thing. That all that matters is that me and God are good, that me and God are tight. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that our faith in God is connected and linked to our love for others. James chapter 2 even said it this way. James said our faith is dead if it doesn't include works of love. He says that your faith and my faith, if it's only a me and God are good type faith, he says that's a useless faith. Paul then tells another group of Christians, he says it another way. He's told the Ephesians, this just as, this way of love. He tells the, the Galatians that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then he tells the, the Philippian believers. In Philippians chapter 2, here's how he says it to them. In verse 3, Paul says, I want you to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in what? What does he say? Rather in Humility. humility, value who? Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Why, Paul? Why should we humble ourselves and show so much care and concern for others based on what? Well, he goes on and says in verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, and we're going to come back to that phrase, one another. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He says the reason that you and I would even bother to look to the interests of others, the reason you and I would even bother to value others over ourselves, because of what Jesus has done for us. So, any relationship question you have, any situation that you're involved in, whatever you're going through, whether it's good or bad, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, whatever it is in humility, Paul says, I want you to value others over yourself. Value their interests over your own. And that's simply Paul's response to Jesus's command to love others as I have loved you. You see, it's actually not complicated. It's extremely demanding. There's no room here to wiggle out of this. There's no loopholes to get out of this, but it is demanding. In fact, Paul applies this Jesus way of love to everything from parenting, to finances, to conflict resolution, to generosity, to compassion, to adversity, in all situations apply the Jesus way of love. And Paul's letting us know in all of our relationships, we apply this Jesus way of love. And then Paul gets a little further into Ephesians chapter 5, and he gets a little more specific on a specific relationship. And he says, I want you to apply this also within the context of the relationship of marriage. Now, I'm guessing that some of us here know that Paul is the one who said that wives should submit to their husbands. In fact, some of you are like, yes, I love that verse. But most women and many men cringe at the thoughts of such misogynistic notions. And men have incorrectly leveraged submission because we've so distorted what Paul actually said about marriage and submission. But believe it or not, Paul's instructions to married people, they're actually one of the best examples of how he applied the Jesus way of love. I wanna say it again. Paul's instructions illustrating to married people are one of the best examples of how you actually apply this Jesus way of love. So, with that in mind, in Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at the dreaded S word, all right? Let's look at verse 22, Ephesians 5, 22. It says this, and I want to say this out loud with conviction, right? Let's say it together. Wives, what? Wives? Let's say it again. Wives? yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. Men, do not shout amen. So here's what's interesting about this verse. What's interesting is that the word submit does not appear in the original Greek texts. It doesn't appear. To so which ladies, I tell you, you're off the hook. All right? No more submission. I say let's call it a day and walk out with that, right? Some of you are like, yes, amen. Amen. I guess I did tell the men don't say amen. The word submit does not actually appear. Let me tell you what it actually literally says in the Greek. Here's what it says. It says, the wife to her own husband as to the Lord. To which you and I say, oh, that doesn't make sense. There's no verb there. It's missing. So what is a wife supposed to do to her own husband as to the Lord? Well, scholars all agree that the verb from the previous verse or the previous text is inferred here, and that is the word submit. In other words, if we didn't have the previous verse, we wouldn't know what the wives were to do to their own husbands as to the Lord. So... Let's read together the previous important verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and let's say these two words out loud together. It says this, submit to what? Let's say it out loud. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some of you are like, hold on, time out. Where'd that verse come from? Uh, I, I, is that new? I didn't know that was there. Some of you, if you're only looking at the screen, that's why I had. want you to have a Bible. I want you to see, because some of you are like, I've never seen a verse 21. I know all about verse 22. I didn't know there was a verse 21. I want you to think for a moment about the far-reaching implications of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Imagine if you were to embrace this as your one and only guideline for your family. How many rules would you actually really need if everyone truly did what verse 21 says? How many would you even need? Is there any marriage conflict that couldn't be solved? If we just applied this verse and we both submitted to one another, that we would choose to freely submit to the other, there's no problem that couldn't be solved. You see, this is without a doubt, verse 21, the most powerful transformational relational dynamic in the world. It's the principle of mutual submission. It's the culmination of everything that Jesus said and talked about regarding Christian behavior and Christian love. But what does culture say about submission? See, culture wants nothing to do with this kind of word, submission. And I can understand why, because the word submit literally means to place yourself under the authority of another. You see, culture would say, you don't ever hand over that type of control of your life to another person. You don't do that. But to be clear, Paul isn't calling for an abandonment of personal independence. He's talking about a one another thing. And I'm going to talk more about the one another thing in a moment. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the pinnacle of the Jesus way of love. Now, I know some of you are already fast forwarding in your brain and you're thinking of some relationships, maybe even your marriage relationship. And your brain is thinking, and you're thinking, hey, this is a great principle, this principle of mutual submission, but I don't think it works well with, unless it's mutual. And I would agree with that. But when it's mutual, when both sides work this, it's absolutely incredible. The healthiness and the wholeness and the intimacy that is, develops within a relationship when we practice the principle of mutual submission. And if Christ is truly a reference point, then this sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross for us, that serves as our inspiration and our standard for our submission to one another. Where do I get that? Again, what does the verse say? Ephesians 5, verse 21, submit to one another. Here's why you do it. Out of reverence and awe for the spouse. Is that what it says? No way. No way, because they are right Well, you laugh. Right? Yeah, right. Out of reverence and awe for Christ at a reverence and awe for what he has done for us, just as, there's that word we started off with, just as Christ has done for us. Paul is saying uh, this is is essentially for you in a relationship. It's a race to the back of the line. It's a race to the bottom. This is like a, a submission competition, so to speak. But what's so tragic is that for centuries, men have completely missed the mark with these verses. As I mentioned, we have tended to throw away verse 21 and elevated verse 22. And men have been leveraging submission out of context to convince women or force women to do something or some things they don't want to do. And whenever a man has done that or whenever a man does that, it is not out of reverence for Christ. It's not the Jesus way of love. It's a completely erroneous misinterpretation of what Paul said. In fact, husbands, for those of you who are married or one day are interested in being married, you are given specific information of what mutual submission looks like for you. Ephesians chapter 5, let's continue on in verse 25. Paul says, man, here's what it looks like for you. He says, husbands, love your wives. Let's say the two words again. Husbands, love your wives. What? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's that phrase, just as Christ has done. Men, you have a choice. Who are you going to take your cues from on how to love your wife? Is it going to be from culture? Or is it going to be from Christ? Who's your reference point when it comes to loving your wife? Because Jesus says, if you're going to, Paul says, if you're going to love your wife, if Christ is your reference point, then the way you love her, the way you submit to her is you love her as Christ loved the church. And how did the lo- Christ love the church? He laid down his life for the church. And man, you need to understand there's no shortcuts in this one. Uh, there are no loopholes to be able to get out of this one. There's nothing we can say to justify not doing this. There's no excuse we can come up with. Jesus loved the church. How? He laid down his life. So, men, husbands, we are to lay down our lives for our wives or our wife. Die to ourself. That is submission to the other. To which some of you, are, I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking, pastor, pastor, if you only knew what I knew about my wife, you would know she isn't worth dying for. But man, you need to understand, your wife's probably saying the same about you. In fact, let's get real for a moment. Are we really worth dying for? Or another way to say it, do you have such an elevated sense of self that you think you are worth Jesus dying for? You see, Paul, Paul said, what a wretched man I am. I'm such an awful person. I'm not worth dying for. And he was such in such despair over the reality of his own sin that he said, who can save me? And he said, well, Jesus loved me that much. I'm not worth dying for, but Jesus chose to die for me. You see, I think we all need to come to a place where we recognize this incredible love that Jesus had where he laid down his life for us because he loved us that much. So husbands, lay down your life for your wife, whether you think she's worth it or not. Why? Because just as what Jesus did for you. Now, the Jewish culture, in fact, all cultures 2,000 years ago and the centuries prior, they so badly misunderstood how men were to treat women, how husbands were to treat wives. And so by the time of Jesus, a group of Pharisees, they came up to Jesus as this smart and intelligent rabbi, and they wanted Jesus's opinion on the proper policies and procedures for trading in their wife for a newer, better model. They wanted to upgrade they really did. That's what they came to him about. He said in Matthew 19, they asked Jesus, hey Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now you and I look at that question and we think it's kind of a silly question, right? Like, like who's walking up to me and saying, hey pastor, uh, I, I got to ask you, can I divorce my wife for any reason at all? I mean, we would just go, no, come on, that doesn't make sense to us. What you need to understand is their context. When they asked that question, there was nothing going on in their conscience that thought that that was an inappropriate question. That was a very normal question for them because back then it was uh, uh, acceptable for a man to divorce his wife for pretty much almost anything. It was Jesus and then the apostle Paul and then later the Christians to follow that elevated the status of women in fact, Peter said it this way in First Peter chapter 3. He said, husbands, in the same way, be considerate or show honor as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. That was a big deal because back then that didn't happen. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And you and I get wrapped up with the word weaker and go into weird places. It simply meant, he was just talking physically there. Another translation says as a more delicate, not as, another translation says not as physically strong. As the more delicate partner, treat them with respect as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now, you and I read that verse where it says, hey, husbands, be considerate of your wife and show respect to her as someone who is an heir of the promise of the gift of life. And we read that and we go, oh, yeah, duh, of course. But first century Jews and non-Jews would have read that for the first time and said, what are you, nuts, Peter? They're just women. You and I can't comprehend the elevated status that came to women in the early church. The idea and concept of mutual submission within marriage, within any relationship was unheard of until the birth of Christianity. It was a uniquely Christian idea. It was a radical, extreme departure from the culture of that day. But for Paul, This idea of mutual submission, Peter's idea of respect and showing honor to someone who's a joint heir right alongside of you, it was the most logical, right, correct, and obvious application of Jesus's new command to love another as I have loved you. It, mutual submission, was the Jesus way of love submit to one another. That's what Paul called every single one of us to. In the context of relationships, in the context of marriages, submit to one another. In fact, this submit to one another call to Jesus followers was actually one of many one another's that Paul gave us. See, so for Paul, the primary way to live out Jesus's new command to love others as I have loved them for Paul, it was found in all the one another's that he wrote about. In fact, in the New Testament, the phrase one another is used a hundred times. And Paul wrote about it often. He, Paul said things like, forgive one another. We talked all about forgiveness last week. If you weren't here or didn't listen or haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to do so. I, I, because if you couple that message with today's message, there is no problem in your relationships or marriages that can't be solved or, or rectified or reconciled or restored. If you truly live it out, forgive one another, Paul said. Encourage one another. Restore one another. Accept one another. Care for one another. Bear with one another. Carry one another's burdens. Serve one another. Submit to one another. You see, if you ask Paul, hey Paul, you told us what you said in Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and on. You told us into the Galatians that, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul, what does that look like? What does faith expressing itself through love look like? Paul would simply say, I believe, just do all these one another's. Do all the one another's. They represent the Jesus way of love. They do these just as Christ has done for each of you. So, care for one another just as Christ has cared for you. Bear with one another just as Christ bore for you or with you. Serve one another just as Christ has served you. And the coup de grace of the one another's, submit to one another just as Christ has submitted to us. How do you do it? He went to a cross to die for our sins. This is the Jesus way of love. We've all been called to it. Here's what I know. I know that every person wants to feel included in a community that is characterized by this one another type love. The one another type love appeals to our desires, to be in relationship with people, to be connected, to be recognized, to be a part of something where we are loved and where we can love others. And that's what those first century believers did. And as a result of that, people who were far from God, they were just blown away by Christians who demonstrated a love and a submission to one another that was unlike anything they had ever seen prior. Women, children, the economically disenfranchised and disadvantaged, they all flocked to Christianity. Why? Because the early church transformed the world. Not because of just what they believed, but it was by how they behaved. They lived out this Jesus way of love. See, I think the problem for you and I today is we've lost sight of that. Paul's one-another lists, and it should epitomize the reputation of all of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, who call ourselves Christians. I mean, think about it. Shouldn't we really be the best neighbors? Shouldn't we be the best employees, the best employers, the best friends, the best partners and coaches and teachers and instructors in our community? Why because we had made, we've made a determination that we're going to want another better. And we're going to go after it, that we've decided that the Jesus way of love is the key. It is best that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Because if that's true, take everything that we've talked about in this series. If that is our life, the Jesus way of love, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, then I- I'm telling you, there won't be discrimination. One of our topics. We'll be able to discuss politics and differ on strategies and, and, and candidates and be good with each other. That we'll be able to draw alongside of each other on issues of gender and walk with people who are trying to figure it out rather than condemn and judge. And we will be able to forgive others. Everything that we have talked about the last seven weeks is to be framed in the Jesus way of love as our reference point. So, would you be willing to wake up every single day? Get out of bed and ask the most important question you could ask every day, in every circumstance, in every relationship. What does loving like Jesus require of me? What does loving like Jesus require of me? Because the Jesus way of love, it's meant to be our reference point for our entire life. It's what God invites you to. And if we live this out, like that city of Ephesus, Artemis worship ceased. Like the whole Roman Empire after a couple hundred years of Jesus followers being influential, paganism was thrown to the backdrop as Christianity rose to be the dominant religion of culture and society. This is how we make a difference. This is what matters. Because Paul said the only thing that counts is faith. Not just faith. Faith expressing itself through love. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that there's a, people in this room here this morning that your Holy Spirit... You connected dots for them. God, no more excuses. No more justifications. No more looking for loopholes. What about, what about, what about? God, that we just, we're going to let what you talk to us today take over for us. And so Jesus, would you hear these prayers right now as we each call out to you? And I'm going to ask you this morning, if the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and you think about some relationships that you have, friends, family, spouse, kids, is there something in, in those relationship relationships where it's time for you to practice the one another's better, to submit better, to love better, to forgive better, to restore better, to bear another's burden better, as God brings to your mind's eye that person or people, will you just come before the Lord and declare to Him, say, God, I'm committing to You now to express my faith through love. And I'm going to practice the Jesus way of love in all these one another's in my life with this person and with these people. God, I'm not going to make any more excuses. God, I'm not going to look for any more loopholes. I'm not going to try to justify any more. I'm just going to do what you've asked me to do. And then, God, use this in my life to transform the relationships that I'm a part of and use it for your glory that more people might come to know you. Jesus, hear these prayers. Hear these commitments we make to you. In your name we pray, amen.